Hello again and welcome back to the Destreaming Dish. My name is Katherine Foster. And I'm Andrea Siska. And we're both members of the Literacy Resource Team here at the CC. And once again, we are recording in the historical room here at Cardinal Carter High School. Thanks, Carter. In our last episode, you may have heard us refer to the Destreaming Pilot. Last year, the Literacy Department ran a voluntary Destreaming Collaborative Inquiry. Approximately 10 schools volunteered to run their grade 9 English courses as Destreamed. This was an effort to prepare for the eventuality of Destreaming in 2022-2023. I was a part of the pilot project, and at the beginning of the process, teachers had to let go and unlearn some of our previously held beliefs and bias to consider our own positionality in the classroom. In fact, we started the pilot by asking teachers to reflect on the following belief statements, which we're gonna share with you here today. One, all students can learn. Two, students live up to the expectations we set for them. Three, we teach who we are. And four, teachers are the prime movers of change in the classroom. During this podcast, we are going to unpack some of these belief statements through the lens of Zaretta Hammond's Ready for Rigor framework, taken from her book, Culturally Responsive Teaching and the Brain. Let's dive in to episode two. What does classroom culture mean to you? What are the components of classroom culture? How do you create a positive classroom culture? We're here with some teachers from the Toronto Catholic District School Board. And the question we have today is, if you were a pre-service teacher and you were trying to explain to your students how to create a equitable, effective, and positive classroom culture, where would you begin? You can't start anything without knowing the students in the room in front of you. So regardless of what direction your curriculum is going in, if you don't know the students in front of you, the rest of it doesn't matter. Would also bring in um, that we're, we're Catholic educators and ultimately Christ was the first egalitarian. So I would definitely lead with that in my classroom and, and include all the students. Anyone else? I would ensure that my resources are culturally diverse and represent the students in my class. So being a teacher that's approachable, so students can feel that they can come to you, speak to you before class, um, throughout the class, or after class. I would always be at, I would tell those teachers to always be at service to your students. Make the students your boss. Listen to them, take their direction, take their criticism, and build your practice around that. What are they interested in? What are they afraid of? What do they care about? Build your practice around them. But what we found is that it generally stops here. It is a little bit superficial. We need to go a little deeper. How does developing relationships with students or building rapport with students help inform our practice? How does it help us understand how our students learn and what we can do to reach them? And in a mixed ability classroom, there is the opportunity and the need for a different type of relationship. Well, according to research done in the 1970s and brought again to light by Zaretta Hammond, teachers generally fall into four categories. And Hammond characterizes these as learning partnerships between student and teacher. We're going to outline the four learning partnerships for you that Hammond mentions in her book. 
The first is the technocrat. This teacher has no explicit focus on building rapport or developing relationships with students. They have lots of enthusiasm for their subject and they're good at technical instruction. They're able to support independent learners better than dependent learners. And they're likable, even if there is distance between them and their students because of their enthusiasm for their subject. Catherine, I'd have to say many of my teachers, particularly mm -hmm. in grade nine and 10, kind of fit the technocrat characteristics, this category here. Uh, they were likable, but I didn't feel like they got to know me and I didn't feel like I knew them at all either. And this is part of the reason why I became a teacher. I wanted to not be a technocrat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then there's the elitist, which Catherine and I believe have a certain university professor vibe. No focus on rapport or trust. They keep professional distance, particularly with students who are unlike themselves. They have unconsciously low expectations for students. They're good at organizing instruction around independent learners, but often mistake cultural differences as deficits among their students. They are viewed as being cold and uncaring. The third learning partnership is the sentimentalist. They explicitly focus on building trust and relationships with their students, which is awesome, but they unintentionally act in ways that may not be in the best interest of students, such as making excuses for academic performance, holding lower expectations for certain types of students out of pity, overly scaffolding, and not leveraging mistakes so that students can learn. Then there's the warm demander explicit focus on trust and relationship development. They show personal regard for students. They are competent and technical instructors, and they encourage a productive struggle, which is what we really want. They are the embodiment of tough love. As we've been reading this list, I'm sure many of you can think of a former teacher who fits this description. And I'm sure many of you would also say that your best teachers fit the warm demander category. Many of the teachers I had in elementary and secondary school were like this. They created a classroom environment that was warm as well as expectations that students wanted to meet and to live up to. So I guess it's clear, we wanna to work towards all becoming warm demanders. And Catherine, I know you have a quote from Zaretta Hammond that you really like. Yes, here it is. Your role as an ally in the learning partnership calls for you to know when to offer emotional comfort and care and when to not allow the student to slip into learned helplessness. Your job is to find a way to bring students into a zone with an appropriate cognitive challenge that will stimulate them and help them grow as learners. I love that quote, it's a great one. And for everyone who's listening, not to worry, anyone can be a warm demander. It's important that you know who you are as a teacher right now. So we encourage you to take some time to reflect on what your natural inclination is by accessing our resource in the portal. And we will go over how to access these resources in the portal at the end of the podcast again. Bringing personal warmth coupled with active demandingness both increases the engagement and effort of our students. It is an insistence on excellence and academic effort and encourages students to push beyond their comfort zone. But it's important to note that to be a warm demander, you first need to earn that right. That's where the relation building comes into play. We cannot warmly demand anything from students who don't feel connected to you. Andrew and I have provided some suggestions for how you might want to put this into practice at the beginning of a semester or a new term. Yeah, there are a lot of factors to consider, um, but we really want to take a look and start with the learning environment. 
So what do students see, feel, hear when they first walk into the classroom? We thought you need to start with the environment. We, it has to be socially safe for learning. It has to be intellectually stimulating and students need to feel that they belong. One of the best pieces of advice I was ever given was that a secondary classroom should look a little bit more like an elementary classroom. We should still have decorations on the wall. We should still have student work. It should be a great place for students to enter. The environment should be welcoming still. Absolutely, and we recently had a colleague make a really good point. These works that we celebrate of students that we you know put inside the classroom or outside the classroom should celebrate diversity of product as student. They should not be all cookie cutter, one the same as the other. You want to see some you know agency over what they're producing, creating, performing. So it's nice when we can see different things up on the wall that students have created. Another great example given to us by a colleague was the idea that the room and the desks should be a little bit more fluid. So this would be encouraging non-permanent seating. The teacher's desk should also not just be at the front of the room. A 21st century teacher is a facilitator not just a bestower of knowledge. And whenever possible, it's a good idea to create special spaces for students, spaces where they can try different things. These could be art stations or reading nooks. We understand that this can be a challenge given the space we have and the amount of students in our classrooms, but they are really conducive to learning. Finally, use classroom routines to support a culture of learning. In the pilot, we really encourage teachers to use routines. And these routines included things like independent reading, and a three-part learning cycle where we had teachers do minds-on activities, um, mini lessons in the action piece, and consolidating the work with students. In my own teaching practice, I'm going to be bringing back independent reading into my classroom. I've started creating a library, and I've also reconsidered how I'm delivering consolidation tasks. I've seen the library and it's looking really good. Yay. <laughs> Next, we need to consider what it means to be a community of learners. This really means moving beyond getting to know you bingo. There is totally a place for getting to know you bingo. But then what are we doing on the second, the third, and the fourth day of the first week of a term? Yes, most research suggests that the first week of school should really just be about getting to know your students. Not jumping right into curriculum right away, but you know, building relationships. One of the things I have learned is how to use diagnostics to their best advantage. This means not only asking students to demonstrate a skill, but instead asking them about themselves as learners. Yes, this metacognitive piece is very important. And sometimes our students may not even have the language necessary to describe who they are as learners. And this can be really telling when a student enters high school if they still don't have that language base to describe you know, what they need as next steps or what their strengths are. So it's really important to tease that out. That's right. We edu-babble at them a lot, but we need to give students kid-friendly vocab for talking about their learning moves instead. What we need to give our students are tools, like checklists to help them hone their learning skills, ways for them to track their own learning targets. We need to give them easily accessible space to store their own learning data and regular time to process this data. We have to make sure we engage them in metacognitive discussions about how they learn and their learning moves and they need a clear process as defined on how to apply teacher or peer feedback. It has to be 
built into the school day. If you go to the portal and click on departments, then student success, then literacy 7 to 12, you will find resources that match these ideas under the title podcast number two. In our next episode, we will be inviting members of the equity team here at the CEC to join us. Yes, we will be talking about CRRP. Thank you so much. See you then. Bye-bye.